I'm Valerie Moisel. Over 20 years ago, I co-founded my company with a creative spark, an entrepreneurial spirit, and a fearless attitude. I've long dreamed of sharing a space where I can interview successful women and hear them talk from their hearts about how they found their way. What I'm learning is it's not such a linear path. We all have what I call the four S's, the initial spark, the snag which trips you up, the shift that helps you find your way to the final S, success. No, not always in that order. And yes, sometimes the steps repeat. Together, we will learn from each other and be inspired. These are women who rule. This is She Dynasty. Hello, everyone. We're still in New York again for another episode of She Dynasty, and I'm lucky enough to be sitting down with yet another C-suite female executive. Her name is Courtney Sanchez. Courtney is the chief operating officer at Vimeo, and Vimeo, as so many people already know, empowers video creators of all kinds to tell exceptional stories and connect with their audiences and communities. It's home to more than 90 million members in over 150 countries. Vimeo is the world's largest ad-free open video platform. The company provides professional software tools and technology for creators to host, distribute, and monetize their videos anywhere. Before I introduce Courtney, I'd like to introduce another Courtney. She's our co-host. Her name is Courtney Horowitz. Courtney Horowitz is the Director of Brand and Content Marketing at Vimeo. Courtney is a colleague and works with Courtney Sanchez. Courtney is the Director of Brand and Content Marketing at Vimeo, where she leads various teams that amplify the spirit of the Vimeo brand. In this role, Courtney is responsible for building a thoughtful content strategy that inspires, entertains, and educates the community on the latest and greatest happenings, while spotlighting the incredible breadth of creators using Vimeo to share their stories with the world. Hi, Courtney. Hi. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for being here today. Thanks for having me. I understand that this is your first podcast. It is. It is. It's exciting and weird to hear my voice through <laughs> the headphones, but I, I think I'm going to like this. So I understand that you have been working with Courtney Sanchez for a while. Yes. How long has it been? So five years now. Wow. Yeah. And on all different kind of roles and, and capacities over the years because Vimeo is growing and changes all the time. Um, but yeah, I've always, always worked with Courtney on different things. And um, so you probably know her pretty well, but I'm hoping today that you can maybe uncover some more personal stories or things about her past that you may not have known. So hopefully yeah. you'll learn something new. Yeah, definitely. Court and I um, know each other well and work, you know, I go to her for advice over the years on, on a ton of different things, but we're also super busy and both moms. So it's not like I, I get the time to sit down with her in, the, in this way. So I'm super excited to kind of hear more about her philosophy on life and work and all that. Perfect. So I understand that you have not only a female COO, but also a female CEO. Tell me, what does that mean to you? Everything. It It's so inspiring to see. Um, you know, being at Vimeo for six years, there's obviously been a lot of different leaders there um, and and have learned and absorbed things every step of the way but kind of seeing not only you know women at the helm of the company but seeing them grow at Vimeo from a certain role then kind of accelerated into the C level is is like 
So inspiring. So inspiring yeah. to see. You know, when kind of the leadership was announced and all these people at Vimeo who I've respected for such a long time kind of rise to the top, um, it just is a whole new level of motivation that you can't really, like, describe because everything you do, you're like, wow, like, I see a path now. Right. And it's exciting. Knowing that it was their work that got them there and not that we were just looking to, like, balance, you know, gender at the top. It was truly, like, the hard work that was put in, which so is so cool. Awesome. Well, Courtney Sanchez is sitting right next to Courtney Horowitz right in front of me. So I'm going to do my best to not confuse my listeners, but I think your voices are different, so I think we'll be okay. <laughs> so hello, Courtney. Courtney Sanchez. Hello. How, how are you? Good. How are you? Doing well, thanks. So um, first of all, I want to say I know how busy people in your position are, and I know this came together very, very last minute, so I really appreciate you taking the time. Obviously, mentorship is something that's important to you. It's probably part of what makes you successful, so it's very meaningful that you're here today, so thank you. Thank you. So what's also so exciting about Vimeo is that you also have a female CEO, Anjali Sood, who became the CEO at just 34 years old. And under her leadership, Vimeo has refocused its strategy to double down on its professional solution for growing the $20 billion market for hosting, distributing, and monetizing videos. Where was the company headed before she was put in charge? Yeah, so for a while, Vimeo had sort of a a dual strategy. And one was very focused on audience and building audience and being sort of a viewer destination, similar to something like a YouTube. Right. Uh, The other side of the business was building professional tools for creators or businesses to actually succeed using their own video. And at the time, the market was changing where this was the time where HBO Go was launching, where other channels and sort of media brands were moving into the space of of an OTT channel. And Vimeo was considering that. Um, At the time where um, Anjali became CEO, we decided to completely shift strategy and focus on building tools for creators. And that is the strategy we're carrying out today. Right. And so you guys are like hyper focused on kind of one mission. Exactly. Which Which is is super exciting and and makes decision making so much more easier. (laughs) I bet. I feel like a lot of companies try to do too much and it's actually really refreshing that the company is so focused on one mission. Completely agree. So I've watched a few interviews with her, and she talks a lot about the importance of being indispensable. How long have you worked under her? I've worked with Anjali for four years and actually shifted into my role a little over a year ago. Um, but we have been collaborative partners from the beginning. When she became the CEO, did is that when you got promoted? Exactly. And did a she... little bit after, but yeah, around that time. So clearly she thought you were in, indispensable, <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit um, about your role and what is the responsibility of the COO at Vimeo? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. What I've learned about COOs over time is that no one defines it the same way. Right. Every That's company, what I'm fascinated by. It's so interesting. And so... Uh, At at Vimeo, I actually oversee two departments, which might seem left brain, right brain, but there's actually a purpose. One is the business intelligence team, so actually all the data within the company and how the company is using that data to make decisions and driving our strategy. Right. The second team is actually the talent team, so that's the resourcing against that strategy. Right. And so the idea is that we work uh, jointly each year to actually build out strategies and, and continue to push the company forward. The data portion of this, obviously that's becoming more and more important. It's almost everything for companies now. Um, How many people work in that department versus the other side? We actually run a lean team of nine people on our business intelligence teams. Those teams actually cover both um, product analytics, so how are people using our tools, 
business intelligence, so how is our company performing from the highest business level metrics, as well as market research insights, so understanding our customers and really, really developing deep empathy for the people we serve. Tell us a bit about your day-to-day, an average day for you, what it looks like. Well, I guess the, the reality is it's never average. Um, I, I typically am the person brought in to solve the problem or to uh, create uh, ways that we can better enable our team so that they can then solve the problem. So every, literally every day it's different. I do run some traditional um, like internal communications and leadership team meetings and, and sort of cadences that are regular. But for the most part, I um, basically am brought in when uh, there's there's points in the road that we don't know if we should go left or right, and, and, and I jump in to sort of help move the process forward. She's basically like the fixer, you know? <laughs> she fixes everything. Like the, the Vimeo fixer, and then like the central intelligence right. of, of the whole operation. It's right. awesome. I've never worked at a large corporate company, so you know, I'm straight out of college starting my own company, so it's a very, very different path. So I'm very... Um, just fascinated by how larger corporations kind of work. And, you know, the hardest part about any job is, you know, the people and making everyone kind of row in the same direction. And so I like to think of the chief operating officer as the person that the gets crew. everyone to row in the right direction, uh, yeah. like the captain almost, And right? also to remove the roadblocks <laughs> that are right in front of them so that the, the boat keeps moving. Yeah, so it's kind of it's kind of a big job. Do you feel like you ever play outside your lane at work? No, I kind of don't have a lane <laughs> she literally does everything she does everything. i do but i'm not good at everything but i get myself involved and try to figure out who should be there to do whatever is needed give me one what what's one other aspect of the business that excites you that might not be kind of what you're supposed to be hired for uh so recently we launched a brand campaign and uh it basically to help tell the story of like how vimeo has shifted over time I am not a creative director and I am not good at creating slogans or anything like that, but was heavily involved in how we think about that strategy. And for me, that was something sort of outside my, my typical day-to-day that was super exciting and like really fun to see come to life uh, over the past few months. Awesome. So you- Also, I would add the office redesign that we're working oh, on. Yeah. Oh. Of course, like, you know, we're meeting with as architects. A side project. Yeah, a little side hustle. Yeah, you're a little, a little bit of an interior designer as well. Yeah, hopefully the, the rest of the company agrees. That's a good <laughs> choice. But, I mean, listen, you could argue that those are both things that fall under making everyone at the company feel proud to be there exactly. and happy. It's and like, you know, I'm comfortable coming to work every day and I feel like I belong here. All those things are, are, are part of that. Perfect. So I also um, learned in some of the information that you gave me that the total video traffic is expected to grow 30% a year from 2017 to 2020 and comprise over uh, over 80% of all consumer internet traffic by 2021. Is this a goal that the company has set or is this predicted to kind of happen naturally? Yeah, that's like uh, market research predictions of like how internet traffic will shift over time. I mean, I, I think we see this already. I, I mean, it's not just uh, people that are using their phones to create content, but small, medium and large businesses are really using video as the way they communicate both internally and externally. And that's just driving the growth of, of video and, and the need for video in the future. Right. So I understand that Vimeo was founded in 2004 by Jake Lodwick and Zach Klein. They were two filmmakers who had a seems like a very simple vision. They wanted an easy and beautiful way to share videos with their friends. Um, you know, the vision of the company seems like it's expanded, obviously, in its offerings. Do you ever feel 
like it's a part of your job to keep the core of what they wanted to achieve alive um, and well, or is it important to kind of move it forward and evolve it? Um, that's interesting because I actually think it's both um, in that I think the real beauty of Vimeo is the community that uses Vimeo. For sure. Um, and so we can't ever lose sight of that in the things we do. Um, and I think many of the projects we're working on now are really trying to help elevate that community, but also open it up to others who need to use video to communicate. Right. And to add to that, I mean, we um, are still an ad-free player, open platform awesome. that yes. allows you know anyone to upload their work in a way that doesn't have ads. And if we turned ads on tomorrow, I mean... It would be a game changer revenue wise, but we have no desire to do that. So I that think was actually one of my questions. So there's yeah. never like a meeting or pressure to be like, maybe we could sneak in an ad over here or maybe we can do it in a way over there. It just doesn't happen. No, I mean, the way we think about it is like, what would the creator want? Right now. So if at some point a creator wants to turn on ads in their video player that's hosted on their website, like I have no we have no problem with that. But like we ourselves would not make the choice on behalf of that creator. Right. Understood. So my next question is, um, with technology changing so fast, how often does a company like Vimeo feel like it needs to innovate? Is this something that like every few months you guys sit down and are like, we have, what's next? What are we doing? What's our big announcement for next year? Yeah. I mean, so big announcement wise, we're probably more on an annual cadence for that because that takes a lot of planning. But we have... Um, daily stand-ups where teams are actually making sure that we're pro progressing against those goals. Um, quarterly updates to make sure that, you know, we're thinking about those big initiatives and how we move those forward. Um, so it is a constant uh, thought process regarding innovation. Understood. And we also, like, we lean into creating tools that allow our creators to be innovative, like like supporting right. 360 video. Right. You know, we see a lot of things just pop up from our community, and our our goal is to just empower them to to make anything and everything that they dream of, and and be able to host it and distribute it on Vimeo. I think is a huge part of our mission. So we're always thinking about what is the creative community making, and how can we help kind of support that. Beautiful. Okay, so we're going to shift a bit. I've had the pleasure of sitting down with um, quite a few C-suite executives. And what I'm starting to do is see patterns and clues that are popping up over and over again. And if you say them, I will kind of chime in. Okay. But I want to kind of go back to the beginning because what I want to start to understand and what I want my listeners to hear is, are there you know, key things in your life or moments that kind of made you understand and know you know, that you were going to get here or that this was your path. Um, just because sometimes, you know, in life we end up in places that are unexpected and it's a hard accomplishment to achieve. So kudos to you for that. Thank you. Okay. So tell us, um, where are you originally from? I am from New Jersey. New Jersey. Proud no, Jersey girl. Not far. <laughs> so uh, tell us um, just broadly a little bit about your childhood, your upbringing. Sure. Um, I grew up in a small town. Uh, I have two brothers and both my parents worked. My mom was actually a teacher in the same school district that I um, went to, which I realize now was a brilliant move on her part as she didn't have to deal with drop off and pick up and yes. and had the exact same schedule that we did. Oh, and nice. so it was it was a good upbringing. You know, we, we had a good life. And um, were you a good student? I, I did. I worked hard um, and I was a good student. And then I also um, soccer was also my passion at the time. So between sports and school, that's where I spent most of my hours. What was your favorite subject, Court? Math, 
Oh, uh, <laughs> interesting math. And did did um, good grades not common? Not, but yeah. <laughs> did good grades come naturally, or um, did you have to work at it? Both, I would say. I think I was naturally a good student, but I also was sort of structured and 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 did my homework when I was supposed to, and all of that. So you were that kid that like wouldn't go out and play until your homework, homework was, was done. done. Yeah. Oh my god, I was abs- I was like, uh, I was when's gym class? I was the opposite recess. for sure. <laughs> So any um, childhood sparks or memories that really kind of stuck with you that helped you define who you are today? Yeah, I mean, I do think youth sports is a big uh, component of that. And I know Court and I share sort of similar uh, stories on that. But the skill sets you learn um, when you're both on a team but also put in pressure situations when you're 16, 17 years old is something that translates years later that I don't think you realize at the time is, is impacting you in ways that are. So you both played soccer. We both actually yeah. played soccer. Through yeah. college, yeah. What it's like to trust other people in a moment, right? What is What it's like to build true relationships with people. What is what it's like to be that individual on the team that's put in the pressure situation, whether it's having to kick, you know, a penalty kick in front of all these people or being the person who let the goal, you know, the ball go in the goal. Right. Like all those things are little moments that actually relate to things that happen to you all the time off the field. It's yeah. such a good call. It There's is. like so many highs and so many lows, like, you know, winning with a team, but also losing with a team right. and like just having to deal with and how you can be an impact player, like from the bench and on the field. And I think there's so many life lessons that, you know, don't feel like, you know, every weekend, hours and hours of going tournament in and out of right. hotel breakfasts with <laughs> gross English Listen, muffins. I it's worth it. Yeah, so. I didn't play sports as a child, but to hear that, um, you know, those moments on the field and, um, you know, what happened, the synergies between you and your teammates is something that's translating to your life today. Like to you honestly day. feel that. I do. I love that. What were your parents' expectations for you? Um, you know, did they give you kind of big lofty goals or did they not talk about kind of the future? What was that like? Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't, they never really uh, gave me any direction in that they just let me do what I wanted in a way so there was no like you have to go to college you have to become this I didn't have to to become a doctor or whatever else um and nor did I have to define really I went to a liberal arts college I went to Bucknell University and um and there kind of shifted what I was focusing on a bunch of times um went into the city after that to look for a job and kind of found my path that way and there was never any pressures to to be something that I ultimately didn't want to be what did what did you major in a business administration. Oh, nice. Yeah, I feel like so many people these days are like think that their major is like you know of people that I Defining talk to that are like are. had to decide decide like what they want to do in college, and I'm just like, none of that matters. You should have just spent four years learning Excel and yeah. Google, I kind of feel though <laughs> that I kind of feel that my daughter's generation, Gen Z. Um, they, f- it seems like they know earlier though, like every single one of her friends is so sure of what they want to do when they really? grow up. I don't know. I like feel like what? pressures are different, but, um, you know, it's just, it's interesting. All of her friends are so crystal clear on what they want to do. And I just wonder if that's just like a difference a in generational thing, yeah. a generational thing, you know, just because, you know, also, and we'll talk about this, you know, so many, um, young people now are, you know, entrepreneurship is obviously on yeah. the rise and, 
it's, you know, everyone's starting a brand and yeah. everyone's starting, you know, a, a podcast. So it's, it's different than when we were, you know, definitely they have access, right? Like to go on the internet and see like, you build know, an people. audience and build a company. Exactly. Customer. And they see it every day in front of them, like of who they're following on Instagram and all these people, you know, selling not only like their brand, but like their, their side hustle. Right. Like you. Like me. <laughs> yes. All right. So let's, um, let's shift back to when you got into Bucknell University. Um, at that point, did you think someday I'm going to be a C-suite executive? No, <laughs> not even not even close. <laughs> I don't even think two years ago I thought that, to be quite frank. I, I feel see, like I, I love that. I, it's true, though. I, I, I constantly move the goalpost, I guess. So like, it's where I am now and what I think, you know, for tomorrow and the next week or the next month. I'm, I'm not someone that's thinking two, three years out. I, I just don't have the brain capacity to do that. And did you, why did you choose business administration when you went into college as a major? I mean, mainly because I didn't actually know what I wanted to do. And so I, I chose something that gave me sort of a breadth of a bunch of different things. And I've actually made that decision, I think, throughout, um, throughout my career as well. Uh, you know, I went into sort of research type roles, which allowed me to learn, consistently learn, mm -hmm. but also start working on multiple aspects of the business to try to understand like what I actually really enjoy oh, Interesting. Doing. So the strategy was kind of keep it broad so you could have some time to figure out what um, interested what really you. Enjoyed. And I was learning at all of that. When you're in those sort of shared services or centralized roles, you interact with every um, division in the company or every team in the company and you get exposure to to so much more than I think some of the more specialized roles and so for me that was the right path I love that strategy and the culture at Vimeo since it's growing so fast there's never a, like a lack of things to do right so I think something that has been so inspiring like seeing court over the years is just like continue to just grow all the things because like they shit needed to get done and someone needed to do totally. it and she just kept doing all the things <laughs> which is so cool to see awesome um any female mentors or role models um in college or right after anybody who really made an impact on you you know what I actually didn't have a lot of female mentors I had uh female colleagues and peers that I think we learned from each other and and bounced ideas off each other and and pushed each other um but you know media businesses at the time were primarily uh men in leadership roles right um and only even, men only men yeah. mostly and and the tech industry that i'm in now sort of same story i think we're sort of breaking the mold a little bit now with anjali and and myself but for the most part it was mostly sort of um male leaders in those roles but you can still take right um you know you can still learn obviously and apply things in in a way that feels most comfortable to and yourself the conversations seem like they were different back then you didn't talk about the lack of female leadership it was just not a topic and now yeah. it's you know the now there's a was... podcast called she dynasty about exactly. it exactly <laughs> no i mean it's true that you know the the conversations that i had were like don't work for assholes or, you know, like very right. much like high level, right. very broad, like lessons, not like how does a woman feel empowered in the workplace and all of that, which is, I think, much more the conversation today. What was your very, very first job out of college? So first, right out of school, I got a job at Paramount Pictures in their television department. And it, at the time, they had just launched the network UPN. Is this in Los Angeles? In New York here oh, in the Viacom building oh, in Times okay. Square. Nice. And um, my job was to basically call all the local station managers and make sure that we knew when the shows were airing so that we could get the proper Nielsen rating credit um, for those shows. 
So I did that for about a year and then shifted to HBO and spent the next 14 years at HBO. Was it hard to find a job out of college? Um, I don't think, I don't remember struggling. So okay. I guess, I guess I found it fairly quickly, but um, I mean, I don't think. I just hear all these horror stories now about how I, I competitive it is. I do think it's, it it's way different now. I, and also I think the industries that you're choosing, I mean, even for, for the tech industry, the, the, the competition for roles, for engineering roles especially, are, uh, it, it's, pretty, it's pretty intense. And when you were at uh, Paramount Pictures, um, any memorable moments there? Anything that stood out? I mean, there is maybe my first, you know, I, I, again, I wasn't very senior at that point in time. So it was my first exposure to sort of something being built from scratch. In that case, it was a new network and, and how companies had to uh, support and adapt to, to sort of stand something up while not fully resourcing it at the time. Right. Um, and so that is probably... Um, like the first tidbit of like building something that oh, I think I, I sort of So there was witnessed. a spark there. There was a little bit of a spark there. I you love got, it. You got your MBA while at HBO. Yeah, so I did the part-time um, MBA program at NYU, the Langone program, at night while I uh, worked at HBO. Is that pre-kids? Before kids. I was going to say, I'm like, <laughs> how, did you fit, how did you fit all that in? No, I always, that was, yeah, that was my in-between I feel like that's something people debate a lot, right? It's a dream of mine to get an MBA. I'm trying to figure out what it would do for me besides my own personal satisfaction, which is a big part of it. But do you feel like it's a huge part of why you are where you are today? um, You know, I always ask myself that question. I do think for me it was personal. Um, Would I be in this role if I didn't have it? Maybe. Are you allowed to be a COO if you don't have an MBA? I mean... I don't know if that was like Are there rules? <laughs> I don't know if there's rules. And you know what? You know, even our, our talent team is, and we've been debating a lot, like, you know, every resume that you sort of put, I mean, every job description that you put up, you typically have like, you know, m- college degree preferred or master's preferred. And right. like, do you really need that line? Like, is that really what's making your decision for that for that person? Is that, Listen, maybe can... it's a filter of right. some sort, but I mean, right. there's tons of people that we see all the time that, that are, are super successful yeah. that do not have the master's degree that do not right. have even you know, a college degree I can kind of see both sides of the argument on this though because one side of me feels like if you know people stop um, valuing education and everyone again just kind of figures it out on their own and as an entrepreneur you know what's going to happen to the educational value system that we have so I kind of like that everyone who I've interviewed so far that's a c-suite executive has had a master's has had yes higher level of education so to me it's like interesting I guess I I'm gotta get that MBA (laughs) (laughs) I mean listen I'm I'm not saying it's a criteria but it seems like it's a a pattern pattern. it's definitely a pattern that I'm noticing interesting all right so at this point in your career did you ever think I'm going to go very high up one day. No, just, you were just kind of going with the flow. Cru- yeah. You just weren't just there. Just into the next page. I love it. See, the point is here that, or the lesson to be learned is that um, you don't have to be so driven from that like early moment in your life to get to where you are Agreed. today. Agreed. And it's not like a linear path. I think you're better served when you swerve a little bit. Awesome. But I would also say, though, for all those listening, <laughs> that even if that like sea level isn't the goal, the the work ethic and the time and the like passion that you put into your everyday job, like, you know, even if you don't see the end in sight or the light, like, Agreed. you know, the time, it's like behavior. Exactly. Like, I, I think Court is where she is today because she, you know, at a time when like the company, you know, 
is growing and changing, she had all the answers, right? Because right. she was doing all the work. So it's like that eventually comes out, you know, like even if you don't think that you get right. that next level job, it, it, it just really, yeah. So you made a shift at that point And you, as you just mentioned, you went to HBO for 14 years. Very loyal. I like I, it. I, by the way, I was a baby because most people at HBO stay even longer. That is a company that has a very long um, tenure for their employees. Yeah. And that was in New York as well? Yes. And so do you believe staying in one place um, at one company for a long time is a smart strategy? Just because right now it seems like the trend is not, not to do to, that? Yeah. I, you know, I actually was in a role and also I think at a time where my role was changing every three to four years, which is typically when people change jobs. Um, I, w- I came in doing sort of traditional TV research, and then they started to launch this thing called HBO On Demand, which was basically time-shifting your viewing through your cable system. Right. Um, so I shifted to that. And then over time, people realized, oh, wow, video should be delivered over the Internet. And so I shifted again a few years later to, to focus on HBO Go. And so I did have a pattern where I was personally changing my um, perspective and my um, – responsibilities every several years within that 14-year span. Beautiful. So you took it upon yourself to kind of make sure you were leveling up. Exactly. And also consistently learning. Like for Mm. me, that is my, like my required element of a role is that if I'm in a role and for some people like stability and, and, and sort of repeated behavior is like where they feel comfortable. For me, I need to be constantly moving and changing and learning something new to feel satisfied. Well, I love that you were be, you were able to do that within, you within know, the wall. Yeah, within yeah. a single company. Mm-hmm. I think that's also really important. If you're, you know, if you are at a company for a long time, what are you doing to push yourself? Exactly. What are you what are you doing to learn more and show, you know, people above you that you can take on more if that's something that's, you know, part Exa- of your goal. Exactly. And you know what? A lot of that is on you, I think. For I sure. mean, it can't you cannot be waiting for others to be thinking about how to develop you as an individual you need to be the one saying hey let i want to raise my hand for this project even though it's outside my comfort zone or like today's podcast (laughs) um you know those things that's really important yeah that's such a good point i think a lot of people like folks entering the workspace are really obsessed with the next title and the next salary and like are thinking like oh I may want to try this but I don't want to make a lateral move like it's okay I mean it's okay it's, right it's, well, it's, it's, you should like you're you broadening sh- what your what capabilities you're, exactly. are exactly which yeah. is important for exactly. the for whatever might be next in it's, a few years agreed so I am seeing a trend here I will tell you that most of the women who I'm interviewing um, who are C-suite executives do stay at companies for a long time they don't they haven't jumped around a lot in their careers. Um, so something to take note that of. That is really interesting. I mean, again, it might be a generational thing. True. But definitely something that I'm starting to um, take notice of. Right, because I'm now in the five-year zone at Vimeo, too. So I've I think you should stay the... there forever. Yeah, I think I should stay. <laughs> I love loyalty. I've had some employees that have been really like loyal. Also comes to, like, a loyalty, but also just, like, a, a balance of life. and not, For sure. Yeah, and figuring out kind of if you have good people around you and you like your job like why yeah why move all right so at hbo um you raised your hand to help build hbo go which you said was a pivotal shift in your career Mm -hmm. why did you raise your hand to do that and tell us um some of the snags along the way that you had to overcome sure so that's um that's another like learning moment right the 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 industry overall was moving to the internet hbo was in a um 
a, a mature business model that basically, you know, printed money in the basement. I mean, that that was a well-oiled machine and the the industry was changing around them and there were people in the building that like saw that coming and and recognized we need to be ahead of it and and for me I, like being part of that was the exact thing I sort of needed at the time and so I helped join that team to help build out the like analytics piece of of how you would measure how people are using HBO Go um, and, and for me, that shifted the types of skills I needed, but it also started to, you know, inform my view of like how you build things from sort of scratch um, with not enough necessarily resources and, and all the things you struggle with when you're, you know, either building your own company. I, my, my husband and I also launched our own business um, also like part time. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We're going to talk about that. But and then also at Vimeo too. the um, the the growth at Vimeo had similar like patterns. And so for me, that was a moment that sort of helped me shift my mindset and into what I actually wanted to do next. So you successfully launched HBO Go. We successfully launched HBO Go. Okay. Um, And soon after that, you know, as I was like, what's next? Um, I got a call from Vimeo. Got it. So you were recruited. I was recruited. So and the recruiter, to this day, made a bet with um, his boss that I would never leave because people never leave HBO. Oh, wow. And, and you he left. won the bet. Wow. Oh, interesting. Must have been very enticing. <laughs> so at the same, so this is also, you said during your time at HBO, you also got your master's. I did. So what propelled you to want to do that? Like, what was your goal? Why did you... I, I think necessary. it was like continual learning and also just exposure to like what else was out there. I had been in sort of research type roles and I kind of didn't necessarily um, understand fully a lot of the teams I was servicing, particularly like marketing. So I, my master's is um, in marketing so nice. that I could help understand how that um, side of the business was running. Got it. Okay. You also uh, got married. Got married. Had, had some kids. babies, how launched many, a company. How many kids do you have? <laughs> um, I have uh, two girls that are now nine and eleven. Nice. I have a twelve-year-old. So oh, nice. I'm there. I with feel you. your pain. Yes, it's it's interesting. <laughs> no, it's amazing. It's a, it's an amazing. I I feel like each stage of kids is amazing, but this is also one where the like, the personality and the sass and the. Yes, the strength, the sass, the sass, and we the different different that, kind of sass than we talked about earlier, right? Agreed, agreed. <laughs> you know, obviously, you have so much responsibility. I'm sure when you go home at night, it's not like a nine to five job where, like, the second you get home, you just turn off your phone and you're done. I'm sure, like, people call you all. You know, things go down, your phone rings. How do you how do you balance staying present for them? I mean, it's something that I struggle with just because you know I own a company. So when I get home at night, no matter what happens, the phone rings. They call me first. Yeah. No, I would say struggle is a good word. I don't always do it well in either direction sometimes. But I, I, what I realized is I was focusing too much on the word balance and less on the actual scale itself. And so for me, I now visualize it more as a scale that moves left or right. I love that. And so there's some months where I'm tipped too far to the work side of that scale. And I recognize it and I acknowledge it in front of everybody, in, you know, in front of my family to say, like, I'm sorry, but these meetings are keeping me later and I won't be able to, you know, read with you before we go to bed. But I promise I'll tip it back the other way and spend time with you someplace else. And if you do it that way, 
it feels like less of a struggle, at least for me. I am literally going to go home and say that. Like, seriously, you're the first <laughs> person who's explained it to me in a way that I can, like, go home and it's say It just, something like, different. mentally changes how you think about it. And, I mean, I was constantly feeling that I was disappointing people on both sides when I was trying to keep it perfectly straight. Okay, so let's just throw balance out the window. Agreed. It's I'm, not balance. It's, it's not just balance. Like, it's Tip it back and forth. back and forth. There, so everyone gets their time, their, exactly. their turn. And sometimes, you know, like... And, you know, I don't make excuses if I need to leave work at five o'clock because, like, for instance, today's the science fair at school and I'm leaving at four o'clock so that I can be there for the presentation. And I am not apologizing for that. Good. It's like intentional for me. It's not about the hour number of hours. It's about like intentional time um, because, you know, spending a whole day is probably just not realistic for most of us. But like if I have 15 minutes and I'm sitting there, like what is that conversation I'm having? And so. Right. Um, you know, I don't ask like, how was your day? I ask for stories. So I ask, um, you know, tell me what, uh, someone did that was funny today. Right. Or something like that where you're yeah. initially, yeah. you're starting a conversation. Tell me. That I do. Something I do that something was... every night, which is awesome. I recommend this to every mom if you're not doing it. It's probably similar to what you do, but I do the rose and the thorn. Yeah, it's similar. Oh my I gosh. do something funny and then something mean or mm. something sad or something. Do you know about the rose and no, the thorn? No, no. So every thorn. night at the dinner table. We go around the table and we ask everybody the rose and the thorn of their day, the best moment and the worst moment in their day. And we've been doing it since they were born. And literally, they can't. Now they bring it up. Really? Yes. I'm telling you, do it. Oh, it's life changing. Really I agree. How old are your kids? I have an um, eight month old oh my and, gosh. A, and a four year old. Start with your four year old now. Yeah. Like, right now, the thorn is like, where's my Iron Man Lego? That's a, whatever it is. It's a really huge interesting pile to see. Of Legos. It's really interesting <laughs> to see how the thorn um, evolves as yeah. they get older and their yeah. roses evolve. And what's also really amazing about it is they're interested in what your day is like. Exactly. So they like to ask the question back because it's kind of like a fun game. Yeah, so I it's, love that. So tr- start it. Try it's it. true that they do that. then ask back. Like, I'll get the same thing. Like, Mom, you didn't ask me who did something funny today. I have a story. Yeah, really? they want to. They want is They like the format of it. It's yeah. kind of interesting. Oh yeah, I love it. So definitely try that. Done. Do you feel like um, you have to set boundaries? You know, for example, last night I was on a conference call and my I live in Los Angeles and I'm here and my daughter's like my blowing up my phone. Mom, I sent you my essay. You know, I can you check and can you spell check it? For, I'm like, how do you set boundaries? Like, how do you like both ways? How do you do that and not feel guilty about it? I mean, I think I feel probably guilty about it, but I do try to be as transparent as possible when I can. So like the worst is if you're feeling ignored, right? So if I can, I say to them, look, I am sorry, but for the next hour, I need to do this and then I will give you all my attention. Then I feel like you're, there's like a pact that we've made and we can kind of be at peace at it. If I'm, which I do often, like ignoring and typing and like, now I get, mom, this is the third time I'm saying this to you. Right. You're ignoring me. Right, right. That that doesn't work, right? right. That's where the guilt comes in where I'm like, okay, I'll put The guilt is down. a real thing. My four-year-old, like, he's like, can we, we're going to go play soccer. Dean's rules. No phone. I can use my hands. I'm like, what is this? But he, like, he knows no that, like, yeah. I, he's like, no work email. And then, but then when he wants to lay with me at night, he's like, I'll let you do your work. Right. And I was like, right. fine, I'll come in. Right. So, so I have a kind of serious question for you, mom to mom. So are we totally setting up our kids for success or are they going to grow up and be in therapy because their moms work too much? <laughs> what do you think? I don't know. I like cry about this at night thinking about it. Um, I don't know. Look, I think, like, I... I think we're good role models. Right? And That's what I keep saying. Definitely. And maybe I'm just saying that to myself <laughs> to make are. me feel better. But 
you know, I, feel I like mean, you're this a good is, role model. Oh, <laughs> I mean, I, um, you know, I remember, I, I think it was my younger daughter. She had to write a picture of what she was doing now and what her mom was doing now. And we were both at desks facing each other. Aww. And I thought, oh, God, is that like a terrible right. thing or a good thing? <laughs> and you know what? At the end of the day, I'm like, that's a good thing. Like, she knows that I'm working hard and doing something that I enjoy. And if that's what you follow, like, I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Right. So you, I understand that you hit a few snags when some org changes happened while you were at Vimeo. I know org changes at big companies are a big deal and they ruffle a lot of feathers and a lot of people take it very personally. Um, Tell us about that time and how you got through it. Yeah. I mean, look, I think org changes, manager changes, strategy changes, all of that um, creates a lot of instability and also like just conflict internally. And um, particularly at Vimeo, we were sort of doing all that at the same time, um, which meant we like there wasn't a clear light at the end of that title as to where it would end up. And I think ultimately what I've learned is that you have to be true to yourself and continue to work hard. But is it you just like get to work and all of a sudden they tell you like your titles change, the people who work under you are different. Like how does an org change work in a large corporation? I mean, how do they roll it out? Well, I guess I was on the rolling out side of it. So you rolled it out. (laughs) Got it. Um, So, I mean, we try to have a very comprehensive comms plan for that so that it's not a surprise. Got it. Um, But there are times where we can't give information out earlier. It's so tricky. And and it's a balance that is really difficult. and, And I think you have to be very delicate. These are or people and lives yes. and, and stuff I, that you have to take care of. I think of, you but. bring up a really good point that I want to um, talk about. You know, a lot of times employees don't realize that executives have to make really hard decisions and they can't explain why, right? The decision's made and everyone has a million questions and there's very limited information that we can, or, you know, executives can talk about. And oftentimes people take it very, very personally. And it's usually has nothing to do with yeah. with anybody personally. It has to do with the health of the company exactly. and decisions that you, you know, are made for reasons you would never even imagine right. that have anything to do with you. Yeah, it's very difficult. Look, I think being as transparent as you can during those processes is critical. When we roll out changes, we immediately call for an all hands that all hands has an unfiltered Q&A question um, section that anyone can stand up or write in oh, and ask questions. So we do try to be as transparent as possible. Um, but there are, you know, the, the timing of it isn't always perfect for people. The end result, obviously, isn't always perfect for people. But we are trying to do what's best for both the people and the business. And it isn't anything that's personal. And I think that's what I've had to teach myself over time that, like, it isn't really yeah. about me in yeah. that scenario. It's about something much greater. Yeah. And, and someone who's been on the other side of the rollout, <laughs> um, I think, you know, there's there's sometimes it rolls rolls in a good direction and sometimes it doesn't. But, like, you know, you should look at it as an opportunity to, like what Court was saying earlier, to learn something new or, you know, be get become closer with different um, people, employees throughout the company because you're on a different team or... You know, I think it's just, you know, try to shift the mindset that it's an opportunity, even if it feels like a struggle at first. So I understand there was a key moment that happened to you um, at work the day after 9-11. And at the time you were at HBO, but it was something that you really carried forward in your career. Can you tell us about that? Sure. So, um, again, this is something about 
sort of small moments that have big impact. I um, obviously at that time, uh, you know, you were even questioning, like, do I even go to work today? Like, what what am I doing? You know, and and so I walked from my apartment to work and I was seated at my desk and I saw someone walk by and kind of pause and and, and look back into my office. And it was the CEO of HBO at the time who popped his head in and just said, Courtney, thanks for coming to work today. And I thought, God, of all the things that that guy has to do today, like he took a moment to just pause and thank me for something fairly simple, showing up. And, and so it's like those little things that I think really strong leaders have that intuition of like that little moment that actually has a really big impact on an individual. Right. Those little things actually do make big differences. Wow. All right. So everything that you um, have had going on, you also decided to launch a pajama company. <laughs> Just because I throw that okay, in another mix. pattern. Another <laughs> pattern I've noticed. The busiest people like to take on more. more. I don't know what that is. I, like for I me, I remember me my sure. husband looking at me and saying, "You're starting a what? A podcast? Like, are you, have you lost your mind? Like, we barely see you as it is. Right. Like, what are you talking about? Same. So." Tell us about that choice and why was it so important to start another This one was actually um, a dual decision with both my husband and I. We both had been working um, hours that were uh, basically not going to allow either one of us to see our children very or for more than an hour a day. And so we recognized early on that one of us needed to figure out something to do that would give us uh, control of our lives a little bit more than the environments we were working in. And so uh, like... Every night I come home from work and I change and I would change into like these scrubby sweatpants and stuff like that. And my husband's be like, what What is wrong with you? Your kids are wearing like Pima cotton, gorgeous pajamas. And you are wearing like your maternity pants from seven years ago. I think a lot of moms are guilty of that. Is, right. And yeah. so he, it's a good insight that. Uh, right. And so to... he said, why don't we make that the business? And I was like, genius. We'll make Pima cotton pajamas for me. I love it. And there's where it started. And so you just on your side time on our decided side, to both of us on our side times kicked it up and now my husband's doing it full time and wow. and we are actually executing on the original strategy was having at least one parent home to be able to take the kids to the doctor or to oh be able gosh. to make sure they get to the science I'm fair. I'm so on jealous. T- on t- on t- it wasn't um it's not it hasn't been easy and it's not perfect but it's the way that worked for for us. I love it. How long have you been doing that? Um, also a little over five years. It was like right as I was transitioning from HBO to Vimeo. Are you the chief operating officer of that venture? You know what? I, don't know what <laughs> I realize that. You are the inventor, the I, creator. I am the, uh, the founder. founder. There you go. That's very important. <laughs> so awesome. Can't have a company without a vision or there an idea, go. right? All right. So um, I'm just going to kind of rapid fire some questions. Okay. okay. All right. So um, tell us in a few words, what's your leadership style? Ooh, in a few words, that's actually hard. I do think if you've earned my trust, you basically have full independence, um, but that I am probably a little hands-on in the beginning. Okay. I would add direct. Oh, yeah. I, you're, I love how direct and transparent and real you are. That might be like the jersey in me, but yeah, I, I love am. that. <laughs> I, like be, I like direct. You know, I used to, and early in my career, I used to, I have a lot of creative people that work for me, and, you know, sometimes there's some sensitivity um, and so I used to always kind of figure out the 10 nice things I had to say before I got to the point. And I can't, I just don't have time to do that anymore. Uh, agreed. So I realized that what I have to do is be direct, but kind and direct. And it works a lot better. Agreed. 
So. I agree. It has to be like no one wants to no one wants to go on that path with you either of like, oh, well, I think she meant this. And well, I you're not doing that. people a service. No, when you, it's like when be, you be kind, but be truthful and direct about what we need or what we expect or Definitely. anything like that. Also, like we don't have time to sugarcoat anything. There's no right. time. Have There's no, no time. time. There's like no time. if anything, you need a little salt. Sugarcoating is so 10 years ago. That was the <laughs> yeah. thing I we used to do. That's our new slogan. Extra salt. Extra salt. No sugar. How does somebody really impress you on your team? Uh, it's actually one of our core values, and I think it's super important. It's a bias for action is what we say. Like, I don't want to hear that it's not your responsibility or that it's the situation and you don't have a solution for it. Like, come in and, and solve it and, and do it yourself. Be that person that has a bias for action. What is the hardest part about your job? Balancing um, everything I have to do in a given day. Uh, there's certain things that I wish I could focus on more in a given day that I just have to reprioritize. And I still, to, that's the area where I want to improve is like how I figure out how I it's hard. can like shed more things from my own plate to help empower others to be able to, to continue to lift the company up um, as we, as we go, you know, continue to grow. And when you get to the office, is your schedule packed from the second you get there? Like every second is yeah. booked. I already had the 8 a.m. meeting before I came oh here. Oh my gosh. So. Well, thank it's you. A, thank you no, for being here. I mean, this is amazing I, this, that you took time to do this. This is also important, too. So, Good. Um, I love it. I love that you prioritize this. Um, what excites you most about going to work every day? The challenge and the people. If you could switch careers to anything in the world, what would you do? So this is a, I, I would be a florist. And I know that's so random and not anything I've said all. But I love, um, like, growing flowers and it's like there's a peacefulness and an inner beauty that I think I just um, get from that. So that's what I would do. What's um What's your uh, dream arrangement? My dream arrangement has some <laughs> peonies and some lilacs and some hydrangea, lots of like spring summer flowers. Beautiful. Um, how do you define success? Uh, actually, for me, this is really hard. I like I said earlier, I move the goalpost all the time. Like I'm never at a point where I'm like. Oh, yeah, that was a success. But I do think, you know, at the end of the day, there's, again, like an, an inner peace that I did my best that day and I worked my hardest. And, and if I can go home at night and know that that's what I did, then that was a successful day. Beautiful. All right. So we're going to get back to Vimeo. Um, so I have an entire team of um, employees that are very passionate about Vimeo. <laughs> they love, love, love Vimeo. And so when I told them that I was interviewing you, I, my inbox started was, flooding. Was there a wish list? Of, there was uh... just a bunch of questions that came in. Um, I'll just go quickly through these. Um, so tell us any major shifts that you're spearheading right now. They want to know before anybody else. <laughs> Look, I think we just um, recently announced the acquisition of Magisto, which is a video creation right. tool. Mm -hmm. um, but the idea is how do we rethink about uh, how our community interacts with each other from the creation process all the way through to distribution and monetization? Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, that's sort of the, the stage we're in now is how do we continue to support both the video professionals that work um, in, in, in agencies like yours as well as the businesses who also need that content? Right. And what promoted the idea of Vimeo to get into the stock footage marketplace? So, um, one, another outlet for our creators to monetize their content. But two, um, create the, the environment where businesses looking for that content could find it easily on the platform. Beautiful. What do you envision the future of live streaming to be? I hope 
super engaging and interactive and um, more pervasive. I think that that medium is is a, a really powerful tool for for people to um, either speak as a business or market as a business or speak to their employees or engage with their audience. And so I think there's tons of um, areas where that platform will continue to develop to to really make it super engaging. And I think you've already answered this, but um, why did you why did Vimeo choose not to go ahead with on-demand service like Hulu or Amazon or other streaming services? Is that because you wanted to stay super focused on the one vision and goal of the company? Yeah, I mean, I think look that that market is super competitive, requires an intense amount of capital. Yeah, if you think about how much money they're spending Big. on 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 content, and we had already had a, a core. Um, belief in our platform that we were there to serve creators and so this uh, just made the most sense to continue to double down on that and and focus on how we can continue to to drive that forward. All right and Vimeo seems to cater to a much different audience than uh, YouTube. How do you cultivate and create an atmosphere and maintain it over so many years? I mean community is a huge part of that. We have a curation team that is um, handpicking uh, videos every day to make sure that we're elevating the beautiful content that uh, is on the platform. And, uh, you know, I think good content brings in more good content. And so I think the brand is, is and the community is really critical to that. So my team wanted me to give kudos to your team for curating because whoever it is does an amazing job. Awesome. So please let them know that there's I will, some happy for sure. people. They'll be happy to hear that. that team. Yo, you lead that team? So. Uh, yeah. Awesome. I will let them know today. I mean, they, <laughs> they were just all blown away by whoever does that. They think they have magic powers to yeah, find Yeah, I so. mean, there there is a, a, a big process that goes into kind of curating um, the site, and it's all, it's no no algorithms. Oh, the sure. team kind of spends a ton, ton of time. You feel it. You feel that it's done by yeah. someone Genuine. who cares, and yeah. that's, that's amazing. And they go to a lot of festivals, and they really have a ton of great relationships with filmmakers all over the world. It's amazing um, how many kind of connections they have, and, and they know kind of what the shorts that are coming to the platform, and they, they do Beautiful. a great job of not highlighting viral videos, but yeah. original yeah, yeah. videos. Okay. Well, I think I think we have done this. So, you guys, I want to thank both of you, thank you. for this being is, here, for taking time. It's totally fun, right? It's now you way both, easier than I thought. I know it everyone's so nervous, I and know. again, you guys, I know how busy you are. So, being here um, means a lot. So, thank you so much. Thank for you. Taking yeah. Thank time. you. Court and I were joking that if this is a success, <laughs> one, one of your asses, that we'll we'll start our own podcast I, between two Courtneys. I love it. I love <laughs> it. And we put them right here, like Zach Galifianakis. And now you know where the studio is. There right? we go. Awesome. This well, is thank awesome. you again thank for you. being here. Thank you. Thank you.